0: Well, thank you, choir, so much for that. Let us pray. O God, you are our God. We are your people, the flock of your pasture. Our loving Heavenly Father... We are your beloved children. We thank you for your great love for us, that when we were unlovely, you reached out and loved us, that you loved us in Christ Jesus, and that you have adopted us into your family to be your beloved children, uh, the younger brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love, joy, peace of Jesus May they indeed be deep down in our heart. And may we know uh, for sure the certainty that you love us. But Lord, there are people here I know who uh, doubt that love, who have no peace, who have no joy. And I pray that today you would reach out and comfort them, that you would woo them back to yourself, that your spirit would be at work through them, rekindling their love um, rekindling their desire for you, rekindling the knowledge that you look down and you see the trials that they go through and the unease that they feel. Father, thank you that you pour out your spirit into us to be your ongoing presence in our lives, to be your empowering presence, to be the Lord Jesus with us, uh, that you have not left us alone to our own devices, but uh, that you accompany in us uh, through life through your spirit. Father, as we uh, look around the world, we also see uh, so many things that are not right, so many things that are wrong, that uh, wrong so often prevails. We pray for the trouble spots, pray for those who are caught up in the violence of uh, the Sudan, the violence of Ukraine, the violence in uh, other parts of the world. And uh, we pray and we long that there would be peace, that sober minds would prevail, but in the midst of all the suffering and the chaos and the heartache and the uh, disaster, we pray that you would be at work reaching into those situations, um, sustaining those who are seeking to do good in the midst of great evil, and um, be a comforting presence uh, for your people who are there caught up in that, and may they uh, be ministers of light even in the midst of darkness. Um, and uh, we do pray that uh, peace would prevail. Father, we thank you that we can gather here now as your people, and we do uh, lay hold of that claim that your love would not let us go, that you would intensify our passion and desire for you, and we pray that that would be true as we turn to the Scriptures and uh, we see what sort of God you are and of who we are in relation to you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you love us and you take us as your people and pray you will not let us go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, George uh, will preach this morning and his text is uh, from Exodus 33, verses 1 through 16. So I'm going to read that text uh, in preparation for him to come and minister the Lord's word to us. So hear now the word of the Lord and I will read out of uh, NIV. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people, you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now, take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, that this is a nation, is your people. the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The word of the Lord. George, come and uh, take us through this wonderful text. Thank you.
1: Well, good morning. morning. It is great to be with you this morning. I do bring you greetings from my colleagues at Regent College who love you. Ian Proven and uh, the Hindmarshes and... Miriam Kavalitian uh, have been down and they've just told us such wonderful things about your church. And so we are very thankful to have the opportunity to be here with you and with your staff for this week and um, excited to have a chance to walk through this passage with you this morning. We were made for the active presence of God, to walk in the ways of God that we might be distinct among all the people on the earth. Lately, I, uh, at times, have been waking up very early in the morning, sometimes at 3 o'clock or 30, 4 o'clock. I lie there listening to the night noises, uh, to the hum of the white noisemaker next to the bed or the burr of a car going past or the gentle breathing of Pat, my wife, who's lying next to me. Often I go back to sleep, but occasionally I give in and give up. Do some of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? But there's a trick here. Pat is a very light sleeper. And one of the skills I have yet to perfect is getting out of bed without waking her up. So one uh, morning recently, I was lying with my back to her and I had been lying there for about 30 minutes And I didn't want to disturb her, but I I just finally said, you know, I've got to get up and and just get on with things. So I I very just gradually kind of came and sat up on on the side of the bed, so far so good. And I I stood up, and I breathed a sigh of relief because I didn't hear, are you getting up? And I, I looked over my shoulder and she wasn't there <laughs> she had already gotten up probably before I ever woke up because she sometimes has a hard time sleeping as well Now, when that happens I feel like an idiot right I thought she was present she was still in the house but she really wasn't close by now for many in our culture And perhaps for some of us in the room, this could be somewhat parabolic of where we are at present in our relationship with God. Writing about our culture's longing for God's presence, N.T. Wright notes, there's all the difference in the world between waking up in a single bed and waking up in a double bed with nobody on the other side. Many in our Western culture may be atheists or agnostics, But they still find themselves wondering why the other side of the bed still feels warm and the sheets are a little rumpled. And I think this is true in ways that were not the case even 10, let alone 30 years ago. So perhaps for some of us as believers at times, the bed also feels a bit rumpled and empty. It may be with where you are right now in your own walk with God or relationship with God, you feel like God is in the other room or maybe in another city or even another planet. It may feel like your prayers are kind of hitting a lead ceiling and bouncing back at you. And we know intuitively when we go through times like this, especially if we have had that closeness of relationship with God in the past where we felt like we had this face-to-face kind of experience with God we know that something is is not right that we were made for the presence of God now Exodus 33 that we're looking at this morning is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture it's a really interesting moment in the biblical story Contextually, it focuses our attention on a biblical theme of God's desire to be present among His people. This is maybe the central motif in all of Scripture, begins in the garden with God walking with Adam and Eve and it culminates in Revelation chapter 21 which points to God's intention To bring all of us together in his presence at the end of the age. It reads, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And the fingerprints of God's presence are all over the book of Exodus. Exodus 29, 45, and 46 reads, Then I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And our passage that we're looking at this morning is right, kind of a hinge in the book of Exodus. Exodus. The design of the tabernacle leads up to the golden calf debacle in chapter 32, and the building of the tabernacle follows in chapters 35 and following. The tabernacle itself was to serve as a sort of launch pad for God's re-establishing of close relationship with the human race. It was kind of going back and recreating the context of the garden where God would dwell among people and walk with people. Terence Freedom in his Exodus commentary writes this, the people of Israel carefully encamped around the tabernacle in their midst constitutes the beginnings of God bringing creation back to what it was originally intended to be. A place for God to dwell with people. God's presence in the tabernacle is a statement about God's intended presence in the entire world, not just with the Jewish people, but with people of every nation. And this is a key idea in God's promise, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of the nations. It ultimately would be fulfilled in the new covenant established by Jesus And we'll come around and talk about that in just a few minutes. So three points that I want us to look at in this passage for a few minutes this morning are, first of all, that we were made for the active presence of God, that God would be involved with us in our lives. Secondly, to know the presence of God, we must be deeply committed to the ways of God. And third, the presence of God and the ways of God... Make us distinct among the people of the world. So first of all, let's talk for a few minutes about the fact that we were made for the active presence of God in our lives. In our chapter today, Exodus 33, it is God's active presence that is at stake. Now now we know that God is present everywhere, right? God's omnipresent. We use that terminology to say God is everywhere in all of his creation. But we're thinking this morning about the fact uh, of a kind of dynamic where God is present among his people and actively involved, where we see God moving and changing the world, changing us, shaping our lives, advancing his kingdom, involved in what is going on. So that's really what we have in mind when we use the language of God being active among us. You know that the people had sinned with the golden calf incident in chapter 32. And so our text in 33.1 and following reads like this. Look again at the first three verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying... I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, and go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Isn't that interesting? Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. I'm going to send you up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm staying here. Sometimes the beginning place in knowing the active presence of God in our lives and communities is for God to say, I will not go with you there. I won't go with you as you are I won't walk alongside these idols to which you cling. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, in the middle of a vice list that Paul gives, he refers to this as grieving the spirit. In his writings he refers to things that repel the spirit like greed, lack of concern for the disadvantaged, arrogance, lying, anger, stealing, foul language, slander... Sexual immorality, promiscuity, idolatry, hatred, strife, jealousy, selfish ambition, factions, envy, drunkenness. And then he just adds a catch-all that says, and anything similar. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul actually points to the golden calf incident as an example to us, their desire for evil things, their grumbling and their sexual immorality. And Paul says, now these things took place as examples for us not to follow. For God had said to the Israelites, I'm not walking with you in this golden calf stuff. I'm not going there. And we all know intuitively that even in human relationships, whether we're talking about marriage Or we're talking about context of business. We all have certain boundaries. We know that relationships can break down and become unhealthy. And so at times we have to say to someone that we really love, if you're going to go there, I can't go with you there, right? So it makes perfect sense that God says at times to us, because I love you, I will not go with you in the direction that you're going, the text says that the people heard this as a distressing word. Now, this term uh, in the Hebrew is is the word that at times is translated as evil or bad, but it can be used in the sense of something that gives pain. What we would think of when we talk about someone giving us bad news. Martha has cancer. I lost my job. I'm not going with you. Now, why this was bad news to the Israelites was because God rhythmically had come down in the camp manifesting his presence. The presence and the glory of God would descend on the camp on a regular basis. Look at verses 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching until he entered the tent. And Moses went into the tent and the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks to his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So the presence of God was palpable among them. God would come down on a regular basis. They knew the presence of God in their midst. And I love this imagery of face-to-face kind of relationship. I remember one of the uh, first dates that Pat and I had, and it was kind of a define the moment, you know, or define the relationship moment. And we had gone out, and um, I was nervous because I wanted to tell her that I really wanted to to date her and and really thought she was something special and I was I was nervous and I I had my hands up on the table like this and I was kind of stammering around explaining and all of a sudden she reached out and she took her hand and put it on top of my hands and I thought this is a good sign (laughs) and she she opened up and told me she said you know I've been kind of insecure about you reaching out to me because I've wondered why you would want to date me and we had the, the first time that we had a face-to-face, heart-to-heart kind of conversation. And that's kind of stayed with us till today, right? We love just going out for coffee and tea and, and having that kind of face-to-faceness. And what we see here is a picture of that kind of close face-to-face kind of relationship. A number of medical clinics in Zimbabwe have established what they call friendship benches. They're a safe place where a trained community of members counsel people struggling with what they in the local Shona language call kufungisisa, thinking too much. <laughs> or what we in North America call depression. Uh, Dr. Dixon Chimbanda, a psychiatrist at the University of Zimbabwe, came up with the name Friendship Bench back in 2006. Chimbamba figured out that while people were hesitant to head to a mental clinic and speak with a medical professional about their mental health, they were generally willing to sit on a park bench and share their worries with someone within their own community. At these benches, community counselors and patients meet weekly to discuss intimate issues and develop a plan to overcome difficulties. According to a study that tracked 573 patients with anxiety and depression for a six month period, only 13% of those who participated in the friendship bench program still had symptoms of depression. We need the intimacy of face-to-face relationships with others. And I want to say to us this morning, brothers and sisters, that God has made us to have that kind of relationship with Himself. Part of a healthy life is being able to open up our hearts and our lives and just pour our hearts out to the Lord as we see God involved in what is going on in our lives. The God of the universe invites us into that kind of intimacy with himself. So I asked myself this morning, where am I in that? Is it natural for me just to go out for a walk and just open up my heart and say, Lord, these are the things that are going on. I need help (laughs) with this situation at work. I want to talk to you about what's going on with our daughter right now. That kind of openness, where we know the presence of God and we're we're kind of like Joshua in the sense that when we do experience that, we just cry out to God and say, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay right here. (laughs) I want to know this kind of dynamic presence as just a normal aspect of life. That's why this was bad news for the people or distressing news because they saw that they were about to lose that. But at the heart of the passage is kind of a critical key to this knowing the presence of God. And that brings us to our second point. To know the presence of God, we must be deeply committed to the ways of God. Look again at verses 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will sit with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Show me your ways so that I may know you. The word translated ways here is a very common one in the Jewish scriptures. At times, it, it simply refers to a road or a path. So if you, someone was asking, you said, Well, this is the way out of the auditorium, just go right down this path here. The word could be used with that sense. But it is also commonly used in a figurative way in the scriptures to speak of a pattern of life a way of living i have to walk in the ways of pat if things are going to go okay in the guthrie households right i asked her if she i asked her if she could name a couple of her ways that i need to be attuned to and she said you don't have time in your sermon Uh, in the Scriptures, God's ways are the beautiful integrated patterns of life that the Lord has prescribed for the joy and well-being of us as His people. Genesis 18, 19, For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Isaiah 2.3, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about His ways so that we may walk in His paths for His instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says, stand by the roadways and look, ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good, and then take it and find rest for yourselves? Late in World War II, American bombers were sent on dangerous missions over southern Europe to cripple the Nazis' oil supplies. Hundreds of crews in flying tin cans soared through storms of anti-aircraft shells, and many American pilots were shot down. They were forced to bail out of their planes... And the injured airmen drifted by parachute down into occupied Yugoslavia, expecting to be captured and killed. Instead, there was a a dynamic rescue mission that had been planned. Serbian peasants risking their own lives tracked the path of these people coming down on parachutes. And their sole mission was to go and intercept them, to grab them, and to bring them to safety before the Nazis could find them. The Serbians fed and sheltered the downed soldiers, and then they had to deliver them across long stretches of enemy territory to a secret airfield. To travel to the evacuation site, the airmen had to spend weeks following the Serbian freedom fighters who alone knew the paths, the ways across dangerous territory to the evacuation site. And despite the language barriers and the difficulty of the journey, the Serbian peasants rescued every single airman in that operation, over 500 of them in all. And it was because, in part, the airmen trusted them To lead through the ways to life and freedom. And what God calls us to do is to be immersed in the word. To hear his voice in scripture. So that we might know his ways. The paths of freedom and life and grace and beauty. As we walk with him in the world. Jesus called our walk of discipleship remaining in the Father's love. And in a sense, when we are tracking with Him, walking in His ways, it's a form of remaining in His love. We've got to be deeply committed to the ways of God. In fact, what we see in the text is that Moses had a sense of desperation for the presence of God That is grounded in a sense of mission. You know what desperation is like. We've all experienced that at times in our lives. Right now, we have a a young couple who are about to come to Regent, uh, Brittany Melton, who would be great if you guys could have Brittany down at some time in the future. Brittany is um, an Old Testament scholar lovely young family. Uh, She did her PhD at at Cambridge and they're friends of ours because we got to know them in Cambridge. But right now they're looking for a place to live in Vancouver. And it's tough and I've been uh, messaging with her the last few days because we've gone to see some um, places to rent for them. But the sense of desperation is rising. We have this sense of We've got to have a place to live, a place to be. And what Moses says in verses 15 and 16 is, in essence, Oh God, if, if you are not going to go with us, don't lead us up from here. Look at uh, verses 15 and 16 again. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In other words, Moses says, God, if you're staying here, if you're not going to go with us up to a land flowing with milk and honey, I'd rather stay here in the desert if this is where you're going to be. Then go up to a promised land. Because it's not ultimately about the land. It's about you. And so we see this sense of, of desperation. Where you are God is where we want to be. For us this translates into an, a sense of God. I will pay a price to know you. And walk with you. I will lay down my life to find it I'll do whatever I need to do to know your active presence in my life do not lead us up from here unless you're gonna go with us and I think we as the church at times need to come around in, in all of our normal rhythms of life and in church we need to have moments where we come around and just renew that sense of Passion, desperation to say, Lord, we need, we need to know that you're involved in what we're doing. We need to know that at times when we get together, the only explanation for what has taken place is the fact that God has been among us and moved us, changed us, and shaped us. And this brings us to the third point this morning Is that the presence of God and the ways of God make us distinct among the people of the world. This is the only thing that makes us really distinct as God's people. That word uh, distinct means to be separate, sorted out. It could have the sense of being excellent or wonderful. The Septuagint translators who were rendering the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek in their translation used the word endogzadzomai, which means to, to be glorified. How shall we be glorified, I and your people, above all the nations on the earth? And the glory in the Scriptures at times, uh, it's used in a lot of different ways, about ten different ways in, in Scripture, but the concept of glory at times can be an image for the presence of God. When you see the glory, you know God has showed up. And we start seeing a hint of what this means in Exodus 34 when Moses goes up on the mountain and meets with God. And receives the law again. And then when he comes down, remember his face was glowing. It was manifesting the fact that he had been in God's presence. Paul actually plays off of Exodus 34 and points to the even greater glory that you and I know under the new covenant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 through 18 or 17 and 18. You have that passage where it's been talking about Moses putting the veil over his face. And then Paul comes to the end of the passage and says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. All of us with unveiled faces observing the Lord's glory as in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord who is the Spirit. And what he's talking about there is that under the new covenant we have the ability to step right into the presence of God because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And when he says that we are transformed uh, transformed from glory to glory what he means is that as you and I go and we meet with God and we experience the presence of God it changes us So that then when we turn and face the world, it manifests that change to the world. The glory becomes a witness in the world because people pick up on dynamics in our lives and they say, hey, what's going on with with you and your marriage with this? You seem to have a great marriage with your spouse. What's going on with the fact that your church is caring about people in the community the way they are? That's really, really interesting. Interesting. And that glory gets manifested in a way that actually becomes a, an aspect of advancing witness in the world. I want to close by telling you about my friend uh, Carlos. I wish you could meet Carlos. Carlos is an Arab guy who lives in Israel. And Carlos uh, had come from kind of a nominal Christian family, not a Muslim family, but a, a kind of a secular nominal religious family and was uh, doing drugs and selling drugs and um, ended up in jail because he tried to kill another person, stabbed that person 13 times. It was actually a relative um, and it was kind of an honor killing because this relative was, um, was abusing his wife who was... Uh, Carlos' sister. And Thomas, Carlos' brother, was in Germany at the time. They called Thomas and said, "Come home. Carlos has killed you know our brother-in-law." And Thomas came home. They found that the brother-in-law had not died. He was still in the hospital. And after weeks, Thomas went to see Carlos in prison, in jail. And he met with him for a while. He, he went back to their mother and said, it's worse than we thought. Drugs have fried his brain. All Carlos wants to talk about is Jesus. <laughs> because somebody in prison had led him to Christ and his, he had just been transformed. He was in prison for months, finally came to a hearing before a secular Jewish judge. And... It came to a point in the hearing where the judge said, Carlos, would you like to say anything? He said, yes, I I would. And he stood, and for about 30 minutes, he just proclaimed the gospel and the transformation that, that he had experienced in his life. And when he got finished, this secular Jewish judge said, Carlos, you need to thank Jesus, this Jesus you're talking about, because your face is glowing. And I can tell that something really profound has happened to you and I'm going to let you out on probation because I think you need to continue to pursue what's going on with you and he let Carlos out on probation the first thing he did is he went to the hospital and he led to Christ the guy that he had tried to kill all of Carlos's family had come to the hearing and all of his family came to Christ including our friend Thomas who's now the leading lawyer for evangelical churches in in Israel and Carlos has gone on to be an evangelist to Jews and Arabs in Israel and in the Palestinian territory, and God is using him powerfully to bring people to Christ. But it's because God has been actively involved in changing people's lives. And we need to remember that God is powerful and desires for people to have this face-to-face, heart-to-heart relationship with Him. Let's not forget that. And let's come back to Him, in a sense, even this morning, to open up our lives and just, just embrace that vision of life that God brings to us in this passage. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank You very much for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for Your Word, which is so powerful and so encouraging and reorients us, gets us back in the place that we need to be in thinking about what really matters in life. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this dear church today that for all of us, we would long for your presence. We would long, God, for you to be active in our lives in such a way that things are happening with the not yet people, christians who are around us and with our brothers and sisters in christ that as we are walking with you we just see you shaping us doing things in the world that are advancing your cause in the world and lord we pray that this text would live in our hearts today and, and this week and that we would draw near to you and we ask for this grace and mercy in jesus name
0: amen well if you would like prayer uh, there'll be uh people down here at the front uh left to be glad to pray with you. Now receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you
1: and give you peace. Go in that peace. Amen.